Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace. I hope that many of you will be able to overcome your jealousy of those waiters that I was rocking a little bit earlier. Um, it is a great day when we baptize here. It is a great day. We're going to be talking in a few weeks uh, about baptism and trying to understand it just like we talked about at the Lord's table last week for the Lord's Supper. Uh, at a deeper level of understanding than perhaps we have had uh, in the past, not only, as I mentioned before the baptisms, were these identifying with Jesus, but Jesus is identifying with us when we go under the waters. It's also great to have Dave Knight here. Uh, he's got a little small display out in the lobby. I hope you'll be able to talk with him uh, right after the service. You're going to also be talking, hopefully, to home group representatives. We'll talk about that a little more later. And then if you're brand new or if you've been coming for two months but you've never really connected with a lot of the people here at Grace, immediately after the service, we're going to have Discovery Lunch, invite you to stay <clears throat> for pizza um, and meet the elders and staff. We would love to meet with you. Next week, we begin Grace Connection. Man, this sounds like an announcement uh, session, doesn't it? And it is. Next week, we begin Grace Connection. If you would like to know what is involved in being a member at Grace, we'd love for you to come to that class. It starts at 9 o'clock. It's a four-week class. It's part of the membership process, doesn't automatically, we don't assume that you're going to become a member because you attend the class, but if you do want to be a member, you need to attend. And also, it's just a great way to understand what we believe, how we operate, all of that. Maybe a little different than what you're used to, so it would be great to be involved in that. One last announcement. Today, we're in the Gospel of John, as we were last week, John 13 to be precise, just as we were last week. This coming Tuesday night, two days from now, uh, on the 13th at Wake Chapel Church in Fuquay, Verena, is the sign-up for Bible Study Fellowship, BSF. Many of you have been blessed with that ministry over the years. The Gospel of John is profound. Oh my goodness, I wish. It was the very first book that I preached through when I got to Grace, and I would just love to do it. I don't sense that's what we need to do anytime soon, although... You know, if we start in, in January, don't, don't remind me that I said this. But I would love to go through. But if you would go to BSF this year, uh, it meets on Tuesday nights in, in Fuquay. Uh, this week, sign up at 7. And I know you'd be blessed if you do. Okay, finally. Uh, years ago, I enjoyed watching a television show, Friday night television show. Some of you uh, might recall it. Numbers. Anybody watch Numbers back in the day? I mean, every week, Charlie Epps, who was a, 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 a math professor at the fictional California Institute of Science, helped his FBI brother solve crimes using mathematical equations. He could identify uh, uh, who um, uh, criminals were, and he also identified their location. And it would just write all these equations, that type of thing. Uh, getting the math right was not the primary objective for the show. I, I did a little reading up on this. Not surprising. Uh, it's, it, it wasn't the primary focus of the show. They, they wanted to tell a good story. Um, but I, 
they did hire serious mathematicians as consultants. Now, I suppose the reason that I enjoyed that show so much is I'm a math whiz. I just, three years of Algebra 1 will do that for you. You know, you just, you, you just get captivated with, it, with, with the math in it. So my, my son, Michael, pretty much uh, described my interest in the show when he said, you know, I really don't have any idea what they're saying, but I just feel smarter when I watch the show. <laughs> I get that. Exactly. So would you say that you are an intellectually curious individual or not? Look, some of you, especially in undergrad, some of you in high school or undergrad uh, university, you have classes that you have to take and you think this is the most ridiculous, boring class ever. Can I encourage you? You never know how God's going to use something that you learn in that class. Do your absolute best in this class, the class that the Lord has placed you in. Be curious about all kinds of things. When you're interested in a worthwhile subject or endeavor, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to know what you know and also to know what you don't know. And then to seek to grow in your knowledge and understanding of what you pursue. Of course, the world, our world today especially, is filled with people who don't know what they don't know. And we know that. Are you confused yet? Thoroughly, I imagine. Last Sunday, we looked at the passage in John 13, where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Now, for a rabbi to perform such a lowly act of service, especially a rabbi whose followers considered him to be the Messiah, well, I just challenge the limits of their understanding. You remember, Peter said, Lord, you will never wash my feet. But then he quickly reversed course when Jesus said, if I don't wash you, there's no, you have no part with me. I'm not going to go into the details about what we discussed last week. I just want to point out that Peter sized up the situation and immediately came to the wrong conclusion. Initially. Essentially, Peter, or eventually, Peter understood. Next Sunday will be the official launch of a new series entitled Engage the World with the Gospel. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the last section of our threefold purpose statement. Exalt the Lord, establish believers, engage the world with the Gospel. And on all the title slides, and you'll see this emphasized more than the others. If there is a priority in our purpose statement, it starts at the top. Exalt the Lord. That's our primary responsibility in life. Established believers comes next and then engage the world with the gospel. Although, really we ought to be doing all three simultaneously all the time, especially as a church. We need to engage all of these things at the same time. The series on evangelism will be formally introduced next week, but you can consider today's message an introduction to the introduction of the series. Today, in John 13, we're going to see how God has designed our love for one another to be an evangelistic tool that He uses to draw men and women to Himself through Jesus. I love what Dave Knight is doing. We've known Dave for many, many years. I, I, used, to, I, I used to have to just wait for Dave to come to get my Aussie accent fixed. 
Now, every night, I just say, honey, would you read the Bible while I go to bed? <laughs> and my sweet Allison, actually, when she's horizontal, ain't no reading the Bible, I can tell you that. <laughs> I, on the other hand, she has an Aussie accent with her snore. Did you know? No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sort of. <laughs> Well, uh, I might need shelter for the night uh, if. Uh... <laughs> Some food would be nice as well. The, the teaching and events of John 13 to 17 uh, all occur on the night before Jesus was going to be crucified. Um, it, it began with the Passover meal and it ended with Jesus' prayer in the garden. Of Gethsemane. A large portion of the text records what Jesus taught with his disciples. He had some very interesting interaction uh, with his disciples, but a lot of what Jesus said did not make sense to them. It would make sense later, but it didn't make sense to them. And their math skills were about as good as mine, and they put two and two together and came up with five and a half. And it was just humorous almost to see how they thought they understood and they didn't. I mean, early in John 14, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to me unless he um, comes to the Father except he comes through me. And Philip has this conversation and says, just Lord, Thomas said, we don't know the way. And Jesus said, I am the way. And Philip says, well, Lord, just show us the Father. You keep talking about the Father. Show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus is like, Philip, all this time we've been together. You don't know who I am? Now, toward the end of chapter 16, the disciples said, okay, now we get it. You have been talking figuratively, but now you're speaking plainly. And we understand what you're saying. And you can almost sense Jesus' amusement, even at the darkest hour of his life. I can just see a wry smile on his face when he says, Oh, you get it now, do you? Okay, good. The hour is coming when you'll be scattered. As we read our text, John 13, verses 31 to 35, and then 15, 12 to 13, try to discern what is familiar to you, what doesn't make sense to you, and what you suspect has far deeper meaning than you have previously considered. That's the way Scripture so often is. Even when you think you know it all the way, then one day, all of a sudden, in your reading, the Holy Spirit opens your eyes in a way that you haven't seen this text before. And it's beautiful. If we were going through the book of John, I would give you a great deal more background on this farewell discourse as it is known to some. But that's not necessary for our focus this morning. Our custom is to stand for the reading of Scripture. And I will ask you to do that if you will. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him, him in himself 
and glorify Him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, or the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Let's pray. Father, the stuff about glorifying, we don't get, we get everything else. But, but do we really? <laughs> Lord, you have, through the rest of your word and through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, have made clear to us what it means that Jesus was about to be glorified. Help us to understand your word this morning so that we might love you and exalt you and worship you, that we might build up one another and that we might burn with a fire like Dave does to share the gospel. With those who don't know Jesus. That's how we hurt. If it was our parents. If it was someone. And you led us Lord. To someone who told the gospel. And even those who, who dream dreams. They're always led. <coughs> to a person. Who shares the gospel. May we be people who love you. And love others enough. That we preach the gospel as brothers and sisters to one another every day, and we share it with the lost. Open our eyes, open our hearts, fill them full, and cause us to respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. This morning, as we pursue our text, we're going to do so along three different tracks. A puzzling announcement. I, I bet you felt that way as we were reading about God, Jesus saying, glorify. The Lord is going to glorify me. And this is how he's going to do it. Then a familiar, or maybe not so familiar, command. And then last, a surprising strategy. So first, a puzzling announcement. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Last week we read about Jesus washing the feet of his disciples in John 13, 1 through 17. Today we're picking back up in John 13 at verse 31. The in-between section there has Judas going out. Jesus identifying Judas to John. 
as the one who would betray him, and then Judas going out. And so when Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him, he is saying that the, that the activities have been set in motion that will lead to his arrest, trial, crucifixion, resurrection. In John 12, 23, Jesus had already mentioned that the hour had come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, on the basis of other scripture and on the basis of what happened right after this, we know that Jesus is talking about being lifted up and crucified. How is the crucifixion of Christ His glory, especially when the Father is going to turn His back and pour out His wrath on His Son? How can that be glory? If you had a loved one who was convicted of murder and you were one of the ones present, not only convicted of murder but condemned to die, and you were one of the ones present, you were in that room where a handful of people watch. I doubt seriously as the, as the needle goes in and the, and the medicine is administered that you're going to say something like, that's his finest hour right there. It's not even funny, is it? You might think, what a horrible thing to joke about. Can you imagine what the disciples thought when Jesus kept saying, I'm going to die. And they're like, no, what are you, you're going to assume the throne of Israel. It's yours. It's rightfully yours. Jesus spoke of his imminent Glorification through the death of the Son of Man on the cross. Son of Man. Do you wonder about this title? You ever wonder about it? I mean, surely it's, it's, it's one of the ways that Jesus identifies with humanity. But Daniel 7 clearly speaks of the Son of Man as a divine one. It speaks of Jesus' humanity and His deity residing in one person. And while Daniel 7 shows the Son of Man in all of His glory, whenever the synoptics, almost always when the synoptic gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they talk of the Son of Man or when Jesus uses that term for Himself, for himself it is in connection, in association with His suffering. In the Gospel of John... The two are dramatically fused together. Beautifully and dramatically fused together. The disciples wouldn't have understood that Jesus was speaking of his impending crucifixion. Again, they thought he was going to assume the throne. There was so much in John 13 to 16 that, through 16 that did not make sense to them. But they would understand later when the Holy Spirit indwelled them and brought these words of Jesus to their hearts and minds. Verse 33 would have been confusing on a number of levels, but later it would be a key to them understanding exactly what Jesus was saying. Little children... Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. In John 7 and 8, 
Jesus had twice told the Jewish leaders that he would go away and they would look for him but wouldn't be able to find him. They said, you're going. He said, I will go and where I go you can't follow. And they would say, so where is he going? Somewhere in the Roman Empire amongst other Jews who have been dispersed to other areas? What, is he going to kill himself? I think they were mocking him. Oh, you're going away. Well, let's throw you a little party. But Jesus meant they would look for the Messiah. They would look for Yahweh, the Lord, and wouldn't be able to find him. That's chilling. Jesus' comments to his disciples that they wouldn't be able to follow him were decidedly different than what he had spoken to the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders. Just a few verses later in John 14, he says, Look, I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am going, you may be also. I use that verse a lot for the, for the few funerals that I conduct Fortunately, we've had very few funerals over the years here. But it's a comforting verse. I'm going to take you to where I am. When the sun was lifted up on the cross, when he was buried, and when he raised from the dead, God's Glory was seen in Jesus' full obedience. That's, what he's That's why he's talking about glory. I have obeyed everything that my Father has said. Jesus obeyed to the full so that your sin could be forgiven if you repent of your sin, to acknowledge your sin as God sees them and to believe that Jesus died for you and put your trust in God's grace and mercy to you. Through Jesus. Weren't those two awesome testimonies before the baptism this morning? Anthony, the theologian. Um, Sharon, the theologian. We're all theologians. Some of our theology is better than others. But everything said this morning was beautiful. Sharon saying, it's not about good works. It's about Jesus' grace and mercy. It's about what he's done for me. It's not about what I do for God. It's about what He's done for me and believing that. I want you to imagine this morning that you've been given an assignment here at Grace. And this assignment is going to happen while everyone is sitting right where they are. You have been assigned to walk up and down these aisles. Just zigzag your way all the way up and down these aisles. And you've been given this assignment just after we have been given a vivid description of the worst sin you've ever committed in your life. You're also called to, to, to bear this big, heavy, wooden beam. <clears throat> and while you're walking up and down, somehow through the, uh, the, the use of, of ultra-modern technology, we're seeing on the screen that horrible sin that you committed. And people start shouting at you and they're throwing things at you and they're spitting on you and they're, they're, they're almost mad with rage. And then you wake up and realize it was a dream. And Jesus took that walk for you. I mean, when you were in the middle of the dream... Deep down, you knew that you deserved it. 
Everything that everybody was saying was accurate. And you felt such shame. Jesus took your shame. He took your sin. He took your separation from God that Anthony told us about. Because of your sin. And He made it possible for you to be in relationship with Him. Jesus said, my hour has come. Now is the hour, hour when I will be glorified. The Son of Man will be glorified and God is glorified in Him. <clears throat> you may be thinking, well, I know that He took my place for the sins I committed before I was saved. But what about the sins I've committed since I was a Christian? I, I guess Jesus didn't know about those. Well, He did. He paid for those as well. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> no wonder we praise Him. No wonder we exalt the Lord. You have no doubt discerned that this life is a difficult life. And that when you become a Christian, Satan doesn't leave, doesn't leave you alone. We need each other, which is why Jesus immediately followed his puzzling announcement with a familiar or not so familiar command. A new command I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. In the same manner I have loved you, love one another. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. The command to love is not new. You remember Jesus was asked, what is the great commandment? What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said from Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and might. Leviticus 19 told God's covenant people to love their neighbors as they love themselves. That, that would be a nice change, wouldn't it? If everybody loved their neighbors as they loved themselves. So what did Jesus mean when he told his disciples that loving one another was a new commandment? I think he was just bringing them to a, a deeper understanding of love that flowed from the cross. It's a relatively new thought that I'm trying to get my mind around. The law cannot be fulfilled apart from love. Of course, we have no ability to fulfill the law fully. But whenever we keep God's command, it's done through love. Galatians tells us, love is the end of the law. It's the purpose of the law. It's the focus of the law. It's the motivation for keeping the law. It's all love. And love flows now. From the cross. It was mind boggling to the disciples. That Jesus would die. You know how we just talk to one another about things that don't make sense to us. And we're like, how, what? why did he say that? Why did she do that? Why? I don't get it. And you just. Keep rehearsing it over and over. That's what the disciples were doing. And when Jesus was arrested, what happened? What did the disciples do? They took off running. I mean, P 
Peter and John followed him to the high priest's house. We know how that went for Peter. John made it all the way to the cross, <clears throat> but nobody understood. When they realized, though, after Jesus' resurrection, especially after they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, that Jesus had died as the ultimate sacrifice to pay for this, their sins, well, they understood what he had been saying, and, and they followed him to the point that tradition tells us, every one of them except for Judas, who of course hanged himself, and John, who died in his old age. All the others, all ten of the others, died a martyr's death. The people that had run away. But in the new command in John 13, Jesus told them to love one another as he had loved them. Almost certainly he was pointing back to the time when he had washed their feet. Again, just unthinkable that someone of his stature would do that <clears throat> for the ones who followed him. And then in John 15, he pointed to his impending death, encouraging them to love one another at the level of dying for your friends. You know what? It is impossible to fulfill Jesus' command to love your brothers and sisters at the level he requires if the only time you see them is on Sunday morning at church and at special church functions. Well, I, I have a lot of Christian friends outside of the church. I, I get that. It's true. And, and it's wonderful that we got believers everywhere. And you just... Or you feel so good when you go to like a civic activity and you got brothers and sisters from other churches at that event. But when God puts you in a local church, He plants you in a particular part of the body of Christ. It's like a microcosm of the larger body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians and in in Ephesians, when Paul is talking about the body of Christ, he's referring to that specific church, the church in Corinth, the church in Ephesus. That's just one of the reasons that we take membership so seriously at Grace. You just can't, it's just can't say, well, I attend there, but I'm... It's also the reason we take home groups so seriously. I mean, in home groups... We commune together, sometimes with meals, sometimes without meals. We pray together. We study together. We live life together. When someone is sick, the home group is the first line of defense. When someone has a baby, the home group rejoices and serves the couple, the new parents. Last night, several of the oldies in our group went down for the engagement party of David McMullen and Caitlin Parrish. So glad for you guys. So happy. Finally. No, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, just kidding. They're in our home group. That's awesome. We're taking applications, by the way, from med students in our home group. David's been our resident med student. We've got problems. People my age, we got problems. You guys are curious. We need some of you in our group, okay? It's a good match, I can tell you. Most of our home groups don't work that way. Ours just does. A few others work that way, and that's great. You can find a home group for, for your age, whatever. This morning after the service, we're going to have representatives of the home, group, home groups lined up all over here and out in the lobby. And want you to encourage you to, 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 to get with somebody, maybe someone in your location. 
Bowie's Creek, Anderson Creek, a new, brand new. If you're interested in Anderson Creek, you want to be talking with Russ um, <clears throat> this morning. Russ and Marguerite Strand. Good gracious. I got so many strands running in my mind. I just don't. Lillington, Anger, Fuquay, Calibiot Springs, Paris, France. Just kidding on that one. If you're not currently involved in a home group, take time to, to interact with some of the representatives. Ask about the demographics, the meeting times, whether or not child care is provided, and how many you should cook for this next week. Love one another as I have loved you. A familiar command with a new and deeper understanding. And then last, a surprising strategy. By this, all people will know that you are my, my disciples if you have love for one another. You wouldn't believe some of the theological contortions I encounter on a regular basis. A lot of scholars, so-called, so have pointed to John 13, 35 as evidence that John's gospel was really focused inwardly and really didn't care so much about evangelism. Um, John was one of the last books of the Bible to be written, the Gospel of John. And so they said, by this point, persecution has just driven them inward. Somehow... John 3.16 has been overlooked. Maybe you're familiar with that. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. You may have heard that the best gift you can possibly give your children is to love your spouse. That's true. No matter how old your children are, husbands, wives, love each other. Your children will thank you. It's also true that our efforts to evangelize the world beginning, begin by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ in the same way that Jesus loved us. Here's the way D.A. Carson addresses the truth of John 13, 35 in light of the whole of John's gospel. At the risk of confounding logic, and you can hear this regal Canadian reading this if you know D.A. Carson, Donald Carson. At the risk of, uh, of confounding logic, it is not so much that Christians are to love the world less as that they are to love one another more. Better put, their love for each other ought to be a reflection of their new status and experience as the children of God, reflecting the mutual love of the Father and the Son and imitating the love that has been shown them. Their love for the world is the love of compassion, forbearance, evangelism, empathy. Since all true Christians recognize that they can never be more than mere beggars telling others, where there is bread. That's the way it is, isn't it? Let's pray. So the Lord has commanded for us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That we are to share with all peoples 
Many of us are excited about a missions fair we're going to have October 16th. Where we hear about how our partners in the gospel are taking it everywhere. But we're called, first of all, to have our house in order. And that order is only established through love. Lord, help us to love one another to the point that those who don't know Christ are attracted and desire to know this love that is so evident in our lives. We recognize, Father, that we fail in so many ways. Thank you, Jesus. For the glory of the cross, it makes no sense that the cross is that in which we glory. But oh, as Paul said, may we glory in nothing else but the cross. May we die to ourselves. And may we build one another up and take this incredible news to a lost world. Lord, give us that passion, that desire. In Jesus' name. And then finally, um, the one thing we wanted, we'd like to have you pray for here today and remember, uh, it's 9-11. There were a lot of people whose lives were dramatically affected with that. So I just ask that you continue to pray for those people, pray for those families who still have that on their minds um, yet today, and pray for our country as we move forward with that. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you will be filled with all of the fullness of God. Peace be with you, and have a great week.